Church, we're going to be continuing in the, the sermon series of the book of Ruth, and this is actually the last installment of it, and I, I hope that you've been blessed by it, but I really love how in the book of Ruth it shows us, God gives us a very good detailed account of how we should interact with each other in our relationships. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11, it, it tells us, you've heard it every single week this month, it says this, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Church, how many of you have ever seen someone in your life, you've been around someone, you thought, man, I wish I had a life like that. You, you see maybe someone posting on social media, and, and it might just be some part of their life, and, but you see that they've got like, you know, 40 million friends, and, and they're, they're always having fun posting their pictures. They're going on vacation, you know, playing pickleball with friends, or they're going to cool restaurants, and, and you wish, man, I, I wish I had friends like that. Maybe it's someone who has a career that they actually studied for in college, and they're doing what they have their degree in. And, you know, you studied on doing something, and now you're doing something completely different in, than the degree that you have. And you look at them and they think, like, man, they're making good money, and they're doing something that they love. And you think, I wish I had a career like that. Or maybe it could be a ministry church. Maybe you see someone who you see a ministry that they're doing, and you're like, wow, they're really making a difference in this world. Maybe it's their family. You look at somebody else's family and you're like, man, they all come to church together. It actually looks like they like each other even. <laughs> Their Christmas cards are just perfect. We almost got a divorce even just trying to take the picture for our Christmas card. It might even be a mindset church. You see someone with the right mindset, you look at them and they're, they're, they're content. You know, they seem to be at peace in their life, and, and you look and think, like, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had what they have. See, the problem is this, church. The problem is you look at somebody where they're at right at that very moment in their life. You're seeing their current chapter, but you don't know the full story of their life. You're not seeing the previous chapters in their life that led up to the chapter that they're in right now, and maybe you look at their current chapter, and you say, man, I want a story just like that but you haven't read the previous chapters of their life. You know, maybe there's a chapter called like private sacrifices. Maybe they have a chapter in their, in their life called heartbreaking loss. Maybe there's a chapter that's called overcoming insecurities. Maybe church, there's even a chapter called my spiritual doubts. All you see is their current chapter. Today, what I want to do is I want to show you from the last chapter of Ruth a principle that I would like all of us to do. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's this, the decisions that you make today determine your story for tomorrow. Think about that for a minute. The decisions that you are making right now, today, you realize that is going to determine the story that you are going to tell tomorrow. Those very decisions you're making in your life, you know, what you do, even what you don't do, who you're with, who you're not with, those decisions that you're making will actually determine the chapter that you're going to live out tomorrow in your life. For those of you, maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're not happy at all with the chapter that you're in in life. I'm talking about you're saying, man, preacher, I want a different chapter. I want a better chapter. You know, I even want a different story altogether. This message is for you today. And maybe we could even call this message choosing your next chapter. 
I want us to look in the book of Ruth today. If you haven't been here, I want to give you a very quick summary of what Ruth was all about. See, Ruth was a Moabite woman, if you remember the story, who left Moab and she turned to the God of Bethlehem. She came to Bethlehem without much hope and without any resources whatsoever. She got to work instead of doing what most widows did during the time is where they turned to prostitution just to support themselves so they had something to eat. Church, she didn't sell her body. She didn't beg for money. She actually started gleaning in the field of a man by the name of Boaz who just so happened, the text says. She started to glean in that field by the name of Boaz and he was a man of good standing too. He's a man of good standing in Boaz. So he met Ruth, right? You know the story. He admired her character. He admired her integrity. Man, he admired her work ethic. She was showing up to work every day, and they had what they would appear. We would call it maybe today their first date. They had lunch together, right? He asked her to sit down. They had a nice lunch. Sparks appeared to fly a little bit. Things were going well. And then eventually the business owner, Boaz, he appeared to get distracted, and he stopped paying attention to Ruth, and he never followed up with her. And so with the encouragement of her mother-in-law, Ruth gave Boaz a little encouragement. And church, when I say encouragement, I mean the Bible says that she laid down at the foot of his bed. And when she laid down at the foot of his bed, she's kind of looking at him like, hey, remember me? <laughs> right? Do you know you remember me? I thought that was weird, by the way. That chapter three was a weird chapter. I would hope none of the ladies in my life would take Ruth's uh, attention there and do the same thing. But this is what Ruth did. She laid at the foot of his bed, as the Bible says, and she almost kind of like proposed to him and almost asked him this, would you be my kinsman redeemer? And a kinsman redeemer, in case you don't remember, is someone who would protect a widow and would provide for that very same widow. It's like a family member when someone, their brother would die, a family member would step into that very important role to make sure that his wife was taken care of. Now, according to the law, there was a problem Boaz, right, he, he wanted to be her kinsman redeemer, but he couldn't because of another guy. So I want to refresh your memory where we let off last week in uh, Ruth chapter 3, if you'll check this out with me. In Ruth chapter 3, and I believe it's in verse uh, 12, it says this, although it is true, I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. This is Boaz speaking. Verse 13 says this, stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Boaz wanted this job, church. He wanted to be her guardian redeemer, but he somehow had to find this guy, the guy who had the right to it. And we don't know, church. The Bible doesn't tell us where this guy was at. The Bible doesn't tell us what he was doing. So he had to find this guy. And, and it wasn't as easy as his day. He couldn't go creeping on someone's Facebook to find out where this person was at. So he had to find this guy, and he wanted to work out a deal. He wanted to work out this deal so he could pursue the woman that he had on his heart, which was Ruth. Now, to make this deal, Boaz needed three things. And you're like, preacher, what did he need? I'm going to tell you what he needed. He needed the same three things that you and I need in our lives to write a better chapter. What did he need? He needed this. He needed providence of God. He needed planning, strategic planning. And he needed 
prayer. He needed prayer. Providence of God, strategic plan, faithful, I'm talking about spirit-filled prayers. That's what Boaz needed. So let's start with the very first one. That's the providence of God. The providence of God is what he needed. And if you remember, the second week, we defined the providence of God as this. Whenever God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will, it means you're just kind of going down the road, and here it is. God's taking care of it. So when you look in the booth, in the book of Ruth, you don't see any physical miracles at all in the book of Ruth. No, there's no parting of the Red Sea. There's no, like, opening the blind eyes. There's none of that kind of stuff. But you see the miraculous providence of God where he uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. And you're going to see it heavy in the last book of Ruth. So here's the providence of God. Turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. Look with me in verse 1. It says, meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and he sat down there. I want to stop right there. So remember, Boaz has this problem. He's got to find this guy, the true guardian redeemer. And it says he went to the gate, the town gate. In case you don't know, there's a lot of significance. What is the town gate in the Bible? It's where you went to do business. If you had to do business, you went to the town gate. You would negotiate deals at the town gate. You would you know, like close on the land, right? You, you would make deals at the town gate. That's how it was. It was kind of like going to city council. It was kind of like going to court. And so he goes to the town gate. He takes a seat. And what are his next two words? For those of you, some of it's the NIV, you're reading some of you, maybe in the NLT. The NLT says this, just then, just then. I don't know if you remember us talking about that, just then. It means that God's getting ready to do something. When the Bible says that, just then, God's getting ready to do something. Just then. Let's look at the, verse, the rest of verse one and two. Meanwhile, Boaz went up the town gate. He sat down. Just then, the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Verse two says this, Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did also. So the word friend, I want you to get this. The word friend is used very, very generously in this translation. The real words in the Hebrew language is, listen, this is not, this is true. I know it sounds like I'm making this up. Get this. The real word in the Hebrew language is baloney alimony, okay? It sounds funny. I like saying it. It sounds fun, doesn't it? It literally means muted name. That's what it translates that as a muted name. It, or Mr. No Name is how we could put it. Mr. No Name. So why do we see this in the text? Mr. No Name, come on over here. He shouts at the guy, tells him to come over. The author of the book of Ruth, Samuel, he does not mention this guy's name. And I'll tell you why in a minute. We'll get back to that. But so when Mr. No Name shows up, the Bible says just then meaning he just showed up. He just showed up. So all of a sudden, God takes care of something. The guy that Boaz was looking for, this guy shows up. So did Boaz get lucky? No, he didn't. Was, was this just a coincidence in Boaz's life? Nope, don't believe in that either. This is where God uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. So Mr. No Name, he just happens to show up by the providence of God, by the way, at the right time and the right circumstances. So what do you need for a better chapter, church? Very first thing is you do. You need the providence of God. In the Hebrew language, it's hashgata pratis. 
And what that means is in the Hebrew language, if you don't know anything about the Hebrew language, you read it words right to left. So it's opposite of English, right? English is left to right. Hebrew is right to left. But this is the providence of God, right? So in the Hebrew language, reading right to left, we kind of look at it as like you're reading backwards. And I'll tell you this morning, church, I will tell you, I will say that about the providence of God. The providence of God is like reading Hebrew. It's best understood when you read it backwards. If you want to see the the, the providential power of God in your life, you've got to look at it backwards. It's God's providence in your life. It's God's providence in my life. Here's how the providence worked in my life. I'm gonna tell you real quick, right? I graduated high school, absolutely did not want to, did not want to graduate. I was miserable during the whole graduation. I didn't want to go to the real world. I enjoyed high school, not because of the work. I didn't do much of that. I enjoyed the social aspect of high school. I'm sitting there, didn't want to do it, just kind of floated along through it, didn't know what to do. I was working at Giant Eagle at the time in Calcutta, and then I went to Kent State because you know what the world tells you? When you're 18 years old, you have to know the minute you walk out of high school what you're gonna do for the next 45 years of your life and you better have it right. That's a whole nother sermon from me, okay? So I go to Kent State main campus. I'm up there. And back in the day in the 80s, you know, there's financial aid packages back then like there is now. But back then, they just went by what your parents made. It didn't matter how many kids they had or how many kids were in college at the time too. And so I was up at Kent State for about a month. All of a sudden, they sent me a word. I had to go down to the financial aid office. They said, if you don't write us a check for X amount of dollars today, you're out of here. I'm like, I ain't got no money. I got 80 cents in my pocket. Would that be a down payment for you? And so I walked out the door. I got out of there. I had to come home. And I want to tell you, as a young man, I was embarrassed. I was devastated. I was confused. I did not know what to do. So I went back to Giant Eagle. Can I have my job back? They gave me my job back until I could figure out what to do. And so here I am, I'm working in the back room of Johnny Eagle, and I was a hard worker. I'm working in the back room, and all of a sudden this guy from Coca-Cola comes in, he's kind of staring at me, I'm like, why is this dude staring at me? He was watching me work, he came up to me, he said, man, you're working hard, he said, you want a job? So he gives me my interview literally in the back room of Giant Eagle, and I said, oh, I don't know if I want to, he said, it's a great way to meet people, I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll try it. 19 years old, didn't know what to do. And it just so happened, <laughs> I got this job at Coke. And then next thing in my life, it just so happened, the girl that I was crazy about in high school moved back home. And it just so happened, right? I'm going to church here. There was a gentleman by the name of Don Bunfield. He meant a lot to me. He was in charge of the youth group back then. He convinced me to help with the youth group, right? So I got married, right? I bought a house, worked my way up the ladder at Coke. I was blessed, right? I had a great family. I had Jordan and Joshua. And it just so happened, just so happened, I got more involved in the youth group. I took it over. And it just so happened later, that we had a house fire, lost everything that we owned, right? And then just so happened after that, the church went through this horrible split. And then one night, we went from like almost 200 people down to 40 people on a Sunday. And it just so happened that during that church split, people convinced me like, man, you need to step up. We need some men to step up in leadership. And then it just so happened, church, that I got involved in leading a week at church camp. Fast forward about 17 years, and it just so happened, man, I had some really bad years at Coca-Cola. 
I mean, some horrible experiences. And so I stepped away from upper management. I lost about $25,000 a year just because I wanted peace of mind. And it just so happened that we found ourselves here at Wellsville First Christian Church without a preacher. It was our third one in 10 years that rolled out. And it just so happened, the church asked me to fill in until we found another preacher. A guy you're talking who never preached in his life. And it just so happened that God told me to quit Coke and to preach full time. And it just so happened, church, I am here today with my wife, my three sons, my daughter-in-law, and my two fantastic granddaughters standing before you fine people today, blessed to be a part of something awesome, and I use that word in a biblical way, that God is doing. So reading backwards, listen, reading backwards, I can see God's providence in my life, and I am so thankful I got kicked out of Kent State because God is good, church. He is so good. The, the provincial will of God is like reading in Hebrew. It's best when you view it backwards. Church, if you look at the book of Ruth, you will see over and over again in chapter four, she gets really blessed. But if you remember this series, it wasn't always this way. I want you to think back to chapters one through three. You know, if we would title some of the other chapters in the book of Ruth, maybe we would call them titles such as suddenly and tragically widowed, right? Maybe it would be another chapter would be faith to leave Moab. Another chapter might be broke and broken in Bethlehem. And for you this morning, if you are feeling, if you are finding yourself that you're just praying to God, give me another chapter, I need a better one. I want you to look for the providence of a good God in your life. Listen, church, you're not in your final chapter. If you are still breathing this morning, God is still working. He is still doing something. The first thing that you need to do, if you want a better chapter, is the providence of God. The second thing, if you're writing things down, it's this strategic plans. I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. I plan ahead. I'm always thinking, what's next, what's next, what's next, right? Planning is actually spiritual, Planning is actually spiritual. Boaz did exactly this. Isn't it interesting, right? I like, I like Boaz. He's not a pastor, right? He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. Boaz was a businessman. He was a businessman. He was a leader. And where, where he was going is he wasn't going to Bible study. He wasn't going on a missions trip. When he was heading to the gate, he was actually going on a business deal. And God was all over this deal. God was all over it. And Boaz was smart too. I just read to you in verse three there, right? Or verse two, man, he, he took 10 business guys with him. He wanted them to be witnesses. Check out Ruth chapter four, verses three and four. It says, then he said to the guardian redeemer, Mr. No Name, by the way, if you don't remember that, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention, suggest that you buy the presence of these seated here in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and then I am next in line. I will redeem it, he says. So he's pretty smooth here. Boaz is smooth. 
He comes over and he's telling me, like, I got a really good deal on land. We're talking pennies on the dollar. This old widow over here, she got it. You can get it. You're next in line for it. No brainer, right? So this guy's like, yeah, I want the land. I mean, who wouldn't want some extra land like that at a good price? So here's Boaz, church. He's working the plan. He's got this guy on the hook, right? I'm going to get some cheap land. And he looks at this guy and he goes, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> There's more. Wait, there, there, there's more here. So in Ruth chapter four, check out verse five with me. Ruth chapter four and verse five, it says this. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. This man, it's a package deal. Yeah, you're gonna get some good price on some land, but you got two chicks that's gonna come with it. You got two girls, you know, two widows that are gonna have to come with you and, and, and take the widows, right? You got some babies, let them work the land and then the land will keep in the family, but it's gonna cost you. Verse six says this, at this the guardian redeemer said, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I can't do it. So this guy's going like, oh, there's two widows that come along with it. So Mr. No Name, he pumps the brakes. He's like, hey, wait a minute. That's not what I signed up for. <clears throat> Way too much responsibility. I can't do it. Can't do it. This isn't what I thought it was. See, you tell me this deal comes with a couple, a couple widows, Naomi and Ruth, so what kind of deal is this? I gotta pay for them, and I gotta pay for the land. So Mr. No Name, can't do it. Can't do it. See, Mr. No Name thought that this chapter was entitled A Bad Investment. But I tell you what, Boaz titled this chapter as A Legacy Opportunity. He's smooth. It's a legacy opportunity. So Samuel Church, the author of Ruth, he says, I'm not even gonna give this selfish guy, Mr. No Name, we're not gonna give this selfish guy even a name. I will not write it down. We will just call him Mr. No Name. But Boaz, he is working his plan. He's working his plan. When you look back through this whole story, if you look back to the whole story of Ruth, you will see most people never had a plan in the story whatsoever. Go back to chapter one. Remember Naomi's husband, Elimelech? Remember his name meant, my God is king? They pulled out, they headed to Moab where God said, I don't want my people there. He had no plan, he just goes to Moab. There was no will for his estate. You know, he left his wife high and dry, right? There was no plan whatsoever. You remember Ruth's husband, Right, and his brother, sick and tired, those two dudes, they had no plan whatsoever. They didn't have a plan. Mr. No Name, he didn't have a plan. He couldn't even see past the day. No plan. And church, I wanna remind you, it is spiritual to make a plan. You make a plan, and you work that plan like it all depends on you, but I'm telling you, church, you pray over that plan like it all depends on God. That's what you do. He had no plans, no spiritual plan whatsoever. In church, one of the most spiritual things you can do is make a plan. Proverbs chapter 21, verse five says this. I love this verse. It says, good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I wanna stay here for a moment, all right? Good planning. One of the most spiritual things you can do is make a plan. You create a plan, right? God had a plan, did you know that? God had a plan, he sent his son. Proverbs says, good planning and hard work. We live in a culture today where nobody wants to work hard. People don't wanna work hard at all. You don't, you don't wanna do that. 
You want to eat? Do you like to eat? The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. There's such a reward to hard work. I want you to hear that one more time from Proverbs. Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work leads to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts leads to poverty. So church, I ask you this morning, what's your plan? What's your plan? You want a better chapter? Church, you want, you want a better life? What's your plan? Some of you might say right now, my marriage is struggling bad. It's really struggling right now. I'm gonna ask you, what's your plan? You get a plan, right? You get some wise counsel. You, you don't go to someone who's been divorced seven times and say, what should I do? Yeah, that's not wise counsel, right? Second thing you do in that situation is plan on owning up your part. It takes two, church, to have problems in a marriage. Everybody always wants to point the other person. You own your part first. And then you open up God's word together. You wanna get through a marriage? Open up God's word together. Plan on strengthening your marriage together. Financially, how about that? Maybe you're struggling financially. What's your plan? I'm gonna ask you what's your plan. Is spending every penny that you have and even some money that you don't have on credit cards, is that your plan? That's your plan, it's not a good one. Not a good one at all. That boat's not gonna float at all. You create a plan. Maybe you cut up your credit cards. You spend less than you make. Check out Dave Ramsey. Painful, but it works. Mary and I did it one time. Very painful, but it works. That's how you handle that. How about your health? Maybe you're struggling health-wise. What's your plan? You're like, preacher, I'm gonna eat, sleep, and now I'm gonna eat some more. <laughs> That's not gonna work. If you wanna honor God with your health, develop a plan. You develop a plan, you eat right, okay? You eat right. <laughs> go see Dr. Hill, get some supplements. You can go do that. Create a workout plan for your life. Create that plan. How about your friends? Church, you really need to plan your friends. You gotta plan your friends, you do. If 80% of your friends are stoned all the time, they don't work, and they are constantly broke, then they're all far from God. If all your friends are far from God, maybe you need a different plan when it comes to friends in your life. Because the decisions that you make today determine the story that you're gonna tell tomorrow. And you know what your mom always told you? You're gonna end up acting like whoever you're hanging out with. True story. So Boaz, he's enjoying his chapter with Ruth, right? He's enjoying his chapter with Ruth's chapter so that he can create God's chapter. So what do you need? You need the providence of God. You need a strategic plan. Remember, Boaz worked his plan. Ruth chapter four, verses nine and 10. Then Boaz announced to the elders, all the people, today you are witnesses. I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Church, what do you need for a better chapter? You need God's providence, you need strategic plans, and the third thing, if you're writing things down, is this, you need faith-filled prayers. Faith-filled prayers. I love that prayer is all over the book of Ruth. It's all over the place. They're very, very short prayers. And somebody asked me one time, like, how many hours a day do you pray? You know, eight, nine, 10? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't pray that long. Sometimes I pray long prayers, sometimes I do but there are very few long periods of time that I don't go without praying. 
I'm talking, I mean, talking to God through short bursts of prayer. Where I'll just pray real quickly. Man, you see this all through the book of Ruth, that ongoing conversation of prayers, right? Naomi prays, if you remember, she prayed, may the Lord bless you and give you a husband, Ruth. Ruth prayed, may the Lord deal with me if I leave you, Naomi. Boaz prayed, right? May the Lord be with you. The workers prayed to Boaz, may the Lord bless you, Boaz. Ruth prayed, may I continue to find favor, Naomi prayed, may the Lord bless the man who blesses you, Ruth. And Boaz to Ruth, may the Lord bless you. Church, these are short, quick prayers. And check out verse 11. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and the famous and be famous in Bethlehem. So he basically made this, Lord, make this woman, a Moabite woman who turned to the God of Bethlehem. May you prosper. May you be famous in Bethlehem is what they're saying. And I don't know about you, but I know someone else who was pretty famous from Bethlehem. And his name is Jesus Christ in church. He is all over this story. He's all over the story. If you see the provincial power of God, if you see the strategic planning, if you see the faithful prayers of the people, the providence of God is like reading in Hebrew, right? It's best to understand when you read it backwards. Look at the story of Jesus backwards. What is the story of the gospel? God loved the world so much. God loved you, church, that he gave his son, right? His only son, Jesus. Jesus, who was perfect, the lamb of God without sin, slain for the forgiveness of our sins. He died on the cross, and on the third day, the stone was rolled away. Church, he wasn't there. The tomb was empty so that anyone, and this includes every single person sitting here, every single person who's watching online, this includes all of us, that anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. <clears throat> this is the gospel. Church, it doesn't matter who you are. Your sins can be forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your sins can be forgiven. So when you read it backwards, right, before Jesus died and was buried on the cross, you remember how he prayed? On that cross he was praying, he declared it is finished. He declared it's finished. He prayed into thine hands I commit my spirit. And before he died, church, before he rose, Jesus was actually fulfilling God's strategic plan. God had a plan all along. God did not save us, church, because we deserve it. He really didn't. He, didn't. he didn't save us because we deserve it. It was his plan, church, to show us grace. It was his plan to show us mercy. And he showed us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so reading backwards, how did this happen? Man, he came from the Virgin Mary and Joseph, right? Who came from Jacob and Matthew. Who came from Eleazar, from Elod, from Achim, from Zadok. Who came from Azor, right? Who came from Eliakim? Who came from Abed? who came from Zerubbabel, right? From Josh, we, we can keep going on, from Josiah, from Amon, from Manasseh, right? From Hezekiah, who came from Ahaz, from Jotham, from Uzziah. Man, we could keep going on, church. From Jehoshaphat, who came from Asa, who came from Abijah, who came from Rehokim, right? Who came from Solomon, 
man who came from David, who came from Jesse, who came from a guy named Obed, and listen, who was born from Boaz and Ruth. And right there you see, church, the provincial will and the power of a plan of a very good God. He was working all the time. Do you realize, church, he's working in the good? In that good chapter in your life, God's working in it. In the dark chapters of your life, do you realize he's working? He's working in every single moment. He's pointing towards the grace and the glory and the goodness of his son. That is the God that we serve. That's why I asked the praise team to come up here this morning. Church, whatever chapter you are in today, seriously, whatever chapter you are in, you might be going through the hardest thing you've ever had to go through in your life. Whatever chapter you're in, I want you to know God is working there. He's working there. God is literally working. Man, he's working in all of our lives right this minute as we speak. But here's the question. Are you recognizing him? Are you recognizing God's faithfulness? Are you recognizing that God is working? Man, you might be in a hard time, but God is working. He's doing something. Church, can you see this morning? Can you see the providence of God in your life? This morning as we sit here, I gave you my story. I sat down this week and I thought about all the things that led up to where I'm at right at this minute. And I believe if you sit down, you can think of the same thing. But here's the thing. Are you giving God credit? Are you giving God credit for the work in your life? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you worked so hard at something and you made something really cool and somebody else got the credit? Drives you crazy. How many of you are giving God credit for his work in your life? You might say, oh, preacher, I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. No, you're really not. God created you, number one, and he set you on a path. And if you take him up on his plan, he's working it. He's working it for the good, for his glory, not for yours. So this morning, if you're sitting here, And you're like, man, preacher, I need a new chapter. Maybe the reason you're stuck in this dark chapter is because you're keeping yourself there. You're keeping yourself there because you're not changing your life. You're not taking God up on the offer. Do you realize that he is offering you something? He already paid for it with his son Jesus' blood. And he's saying, listen, I've got a gift for you. And that gift is a brand new life, brand new thoughts, brand new heart. I'm going to give you brand new eyes to see differently. I'm going to give you brand new ears so that you can hear my word coming through to you. And I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit who wants to take up residency in your heart. Church, listen to me. This morning, if you are living in that dark chapter, ask yourself, have I given my life fully to Jesus Christ? If you haven't, you got to. Because he wants to give you a brand new chapter. Who doesn't want a new chapter when you're in the dark days, church? So if that is you this morning, I want to encourage you to come forward. And for the rest of you believers who are here right now, and you're like, man, preacher, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I gave my life to him a long time ago. I'm in a dark chapter. Are you planning it out? Are you recognizing God's providence? He's sending people your way. He's sending circumstances. He's conforming things. He's making things happen. I never stand back anymore going like, I can't believe it. Sometimes I'm in awe of him, but I recognize, man, his hand is at work. 
Church, are you recognizing his hand at work in your life? And are you planning? Are you planning? Are you just a Christian who's bumping along life, saying, oh, God's gonna give? No, plan it out. And then you pray like, God, is this where you want me to go? He will move your feet one step at a time. So if that's you this morning, believers in Jesus Christ, you want that dark chapter? What are you gonna do about it? He's wanting you to turn it all over to him and let him take that burden. Let him take that, let him carry you on the days that you can't walk anymore because he promises us in his word he'll do that. So how about it, church? Let's stand together and let's sing, but I wanna encourage you this morning to respond.